says it all. How great you are. May we worship you today in spirit and in truth. And because we worship today, may we serve when we live, when we leave, when we go tomorrow. Lord, thank you for your goodness to this congregation in the sending of a new shepherd. We lift him and his family to you and ask your blessing to fall upon them mightily. And upon this congregation, that pastor and people, families, may bind together in proclaiming Christ and serving in his name in this place and literally with a worldwide impact. God, thank you for the search committee, for the job that they've done, and we pray that you would reward them. Thank you for what you've done through them. Father, this has been a difficult time for so many, and we're so pleased today that the Durst family is with us again. And we pause to lift fame to you and pray that that procedure will go well and you will give him increased vision and strength and blesses your family. And Father, there are others. And though we may not name them personally today, they're personal to you and to us. And would you bring healing and help and restoration? God, we pray that the day would soon be over when COVID is so important, so difficult for our world. God, we ask you to bring healing to this nation and world. But God, help us not miss the point. And help as we see you having been at work, we might serve you better and love you more and be more Christ-like in all we do. Now we give this time to you and pray you use it for your glory and our good. In the name of Christ we pray, Amen. amen. You may be seated, and our children who are going to a children's church can be dismissed at this time, and uh, they'll have a good time. Pat and I want to thank you today for the privilege of having been with you again and uh, walked with you again during these days, and for the welcome you've extended to us we're we're grateful. Uh, some of you have asked what's next, and uh, what's next is that the shingle is not out, uh, and nor has it been in recent years, really. But our commitment to try to do what the Lord leads us to do is out, and uh, so we don't know whether there is a next step or not in this interim journey, I have gone ahead and scheduled five weeks of preaching in the mountains of Colorado this July and August. 
somebody's got to go up there. (laughs) And it's about 65 degrees in the daytime there when it's 100 or 105 here. And somebody has to sacrifice and go. And so uh, we've got that schedule and anybody else that comes along would have to have to understand that. You can go ahead and be turning in your Bibles, if you want to, to Titus chapter 2. We'll begin reading in a little bit in verse 11 of Titus chapter 2. Before we do that, I want to talk to you just a bit about your new pastor. Uh, Those of you who went through the intentional interim that we did here before were introduced to that little book. It only hurts on Monday. There are a few copies of that still around here. And I do encourage you to find a copy and look at that. that. That's a very interesting book in helping you understand what it's like to be a pastor and family in a church. You're not needed to feel sorry for us. We have, I, I, I would do all this again that we've done more than 50 years now with joy. But it helps you understand. Uh, your pastor, you know, if he does what God wants him to do, if he hears the voice of God, and lead you in it, sooner or later he's going to do something that you don't like. And uh, if he never does anything that stretches you or challenges you, you've got to ask whether he's listening to the voice of God. Because if he is, there will be challenging. Now, hear me here. It's okay For you to disagree with him. It's okay for you to go see him and talk about things that are going on. And what you see God doing. How you see God is blessing. Or maybe God's saying something you hadn't said to him yet. But the secret to that is you go and tell him. Talk with him. It is always better to talk with brothers and sisters in Christ than it is to talk about them. In your community, never say anything but good about your pastor and your church. And we have this thing called social media now. Don't use that to air your disappointments and gripes. It's a tool of the devil. Talk with your leaders. Okay? Now, love him. Pray for him. Thank God for him. His dear wife. Don't expect her to be like anybody else that's been here before. I'm so grateful that Pat comes with me and has been by my side all these years. I told her when I asked her to marry me, I would show her the world. And I've shown her Mason twice. (laughs) But let her be who she is. A child of God saved by grace. 
Let her find her place of service. Don't compare her to any other preacher's wife. Those lovely daughters, let them be who they are. Never say to them, you're the preacher's kid. You know, I think probably the angriest I may have ever gotten in church, one day when I was in Galveston, I rounded the corner next to the church kitchen in Fellowship Hall, and the church hostess had my son and a deacon's son sit down, and she was giving them the riot act because they had run through the kitchen. And I heard her say to my son, And you're the preacher's son. So when she let them go, I went and said, let's talk. I'm sorry they were running through the kitchen. You were right to correct them about that. You were right not to let them do that. But I don't ever want to hear you say to my son again, and you're the preacher's kid. Treat them like any other child of the family of God. I I may get in trouble. I I want to tell you something. Uh, Charles Lee Williamson for years was our director of church missions for the Veterans General Convention of Texas, a prince of a man. And he was one of the early leaders of intentional inner ministry in our state. And, And in fact, the award that's given to the top Interim ministry each year in Texas is named after Dick Maples and Charles Lee Williamson and Jan Daynard. And uh, I probably shouldn't say, but a few years ago I got that. But Charles Lee told us one day, he grew up in a pastor's home, and there were four or five boys in that home. His little brother was a first grader. And uh, in Sunday school in the church, that preacher's kid was sitting there in the days when they had the round tables and the teacher sat in the middle and all the kids were around. Remember those? And she asked a question and she started over here. The preacher's kid was sitting right in the middle and she uh, asked this one. He didn't know. She asked this one. He didn't know. She asked this one. He didn't know. She skipped the preacher's kid and uh, asked the next one and the next one, and none of them knew. And finally, she turned to the preacher's kid and said, all right, Billy, you tell us. And so help me God, he looked at her and said, hell if I know. And she went to Charles Lee's father and said, I did something awful this morning. I want to confess to you. I want to tell you. But I don't want you to do anything to that kid. (laughs) She said, I set him up poorly. And here's what he said. Do, Do you hear me? We are so grateful. for the journey our children had in a pastor's home. 
I, I remember well to this day, I don't know if she would or even if my son does, but a second grade Sunday school teacher drove all the way out to our house to bring him his new Sunday school book as she did for the other members of her class. Now, she knew he was going to be in Sunday school. But she wanted him to be like the other children. You honor that family, and you watch those children grow up, and you enjoy them. If you want to be an aunt, an uncle, a grandparent to them, fine. But never say, and you're the preacher's kid. Okay. Now, take that for whatever it's worth from a guy that loves the church and loves preachers and loves the family of God. And let's make this thing better and better and better. Titus 2, beginning in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus who gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Some of you have read the message. I want you to hear that in the message. God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation's available for everyone. We are being shown how to turn our backs on a godless, indulgent life and how to take on a God-filled, God-honoring life. This new life is starting right now and whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. He offered himself as a sacrifice to free us from a dark, rebellious life into this good, pure life, making us a people he can be proud of, energetic in goodness. Not many words in the English language sound more wonderful than grace. Do you have a gracious Friend, do you know a woman who is filled with grace? Do you know anybody named Grace? Have you experienced grace when you should have received a penalty? Have you had a teacher who dealt graciously with you? When the dog ate your homework. Grace is a wonderful word. And of course we Baptists have always been big on grace. Though Amazing Grace is a hymn written by an Anglican Episcopalian. 
we have made it our national anthem, really. We love to sing it. And it really doesn't matter whether we sing it accompanied by an organ, a guitar. Uh, there, there was a weekend a couple of years ago when I was interim in Lano, when at a funeral we sang Amazing Grace with bagpipes and then with the church organ, and then on Sunday in Lano we sang it with a steel guitar, but it was still Amazing Grace, and we loved it. We loved it. What ultimately makes grace so amazingly wonderful is its theological context. It says that though you and I deserve nothing from God, He has graced us. That is to say, He has given us His unmerited favor that though we deserve nothing from Him, He has chosen to delight in us. Humor me on my last Sunday with you. Turn to the person next to you and say, Hey, God has chosen to delight in me. Go ahead. And then say, Aren't you amazed? It sounds good. It sounds good. Grace is wonderful. But what are the purposes of grace? They too are amazing. Paul speaks to Titus to stay at the task, even in the presence of all kind of difficulty, uncertainty, disappointment, struggle. He boldly says, For the grace of God has appeared. It does not mean that the theological concept has appeared, is on a test. Rather, it means that the person of grace has appeared. The word is, that that word from which we get our word epiphany, it means to bring, to become visible or to make an appearance. It, It describes grace suddenly appearing in moral darkness like the rising sun. It's a Christmas passage, really. It reminds us that we could never adequately know grace without its personal manifestation in Jesus Christ. It means that grace is all the more amazing. But what does it do? What are its purposes? What can grace do for you today? How can grace make a difference in our lives right now? How can grace help us deal with COVID and all the stuff that's going on in our world? There are three amazing purposes of grace really presented in Paul's words to Titus. For one thing, grace purposes to save us. Did you hear it in the message God's readiness to give and forgive is now public. Salvation is available for everyone. Now friends, this is not universalism. It is availability. Grace says that God loves you with all the love that God is. Grace says that God can't love you any more then God loves you now. 
And God's grace says that you can't do anything to make God love you any less than God loves you now. Grace reminds us that we cannot earn God's love and that forgiveness, but that he gives it freely to those who will accept relationship with him. Hear the words of Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7, again from the message. It wasn't so long ago that we ourselves were stupid and stubborn, dupes of sin, ordered every which way by our glands, going around with a chip on our shoulder, hated and hating back, But when God, but when God, our kind and loving Savior stepped in, He saved us from all that. It was all His doing. We had nothing to do with it. He gave us a good bath. And we came out of it new people, washed outside and out by the Holy Spirit, Our Savior Jesus poured out new life so generously. God's gift has restored our relationship with Him and given us back our lives. And there's more to come. An eternity of life. And you can count on this. God delights in you and wants the best for you. And he earnestly desires for you to come to him and receive, be transformed, be blessed, be changed by that grace. But then Paul is carefully to say that grace proposes to train us. What does God desire through grace? Well, Paul says it. That the heart of God is that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for him pe- for his people, for himself, a people of his own possession, zealous for good deeds. What could be more wonderful? God wants you for himself. He wants you delighting in him. He he wants you to see him as the one who loves you most in all the world. How does grace do this? Paul says, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in this present present age. He wants us to just say no to some things, to ungodliness, things representative of our lives without God. He just wants us just to say no to worldly desires. The church father Chrysostom said that worldly things are things which do not pass over with us into heaven, but are dissolved together with this present world. But William Barclay said that worldly things are things we can't or won't show to God who has graced us. If we focus on grace, 
Grace will help these things go away. And grace also trains us to just say yes, to live sensible, upright, godly lives. Grace will make you better and not bitter. Grace will fill you with joy. It will fix your want to. Grace purposes to train you to live free from that which does not honor God. This year I've been turning again daily to Oswald Chambers for a kind of devotional. Nobody could say some things like his, his word for today. I want you to hear part of it. <clears throat> when we are born again, we all have visions, if we are spiritual at all. Visions of what God wants us to be. And the great thing is to learn not to be disobedient to the vision. Not to say that it cannot be attained. It is not sufficient to know that God has redeemed the world. And to know that the Holy Spirit can make all that Jesus did effectual in me. I must have the basis of a personal relationship with Him. Paul was not given a message or a doctrine to proclaim. He was brought into a vivid, personal, overmastering relationship to Jesus Christ. Verse 16 of Acts 26 is immensely commanding to make thee a minister and a witness. There is nothing there apart from the personal relationship. Paul was diverted, devoted to a person not to a cause. Did you hear that? He was devoted to a person, not a cause. He was absolutely Jesus Christ. He saw nothing else. He lived for nothing else. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He wrote. Lewis Smead's Mount at Fuller Seminary wrote, The secret of grace is that it may be all right at the center, even when it's wrong on the edges of life. And finally, my brothers and sisters, grace purposes to sustain us again in the message. The new life is starting right now. And is whetting our appetites for the glorious day when our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, appears. There's that word appearing again. There is that blessed hope in which we live. Do you want Jesus to come back again? Wouldn't it be great if he came today? Wouldn't it be great if we all go together? Do do, do you know what we shall see? Paul wrote it again in the message, 1 Corinthians 2.9. I shared it with you before. No one's ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love him. 
Friends, if you love the mountains of Colorado, you're really going to like the mountains of heaven. If you like the South Llano River, you're going to really love the river that flows right through the city, bringing the water of life. What God has prepared But knowing this is in your future. Grace is to guide your life and to sustain you now and to help you get ready for that. Our our Lord said, again I read from the message in Luke 21, 34 through 36. See how it sounds if it sounds a bit like you or me. But be on your guard. Don't let the sharp edge of your expectation get dulled by parties and drinking and shopping. He must have known me. Otherwise, that day's going to take you by complete surprise, spring on you suddenly like a trap. For it's going to come on everyone, everywhere at once. So, whatever you do, don't go to sleep at the switch. Pray constantly that you will have the strength and wits to make it through everything that's coming and end up on your feet before the Son of Man. Grace sustains us with the expectation of His coming. What a day it shall be as we stand before Him. James Carter reminded us of that time when Roland Level, who later became president of New Orleans Seminary, but as a young man, he volunteered with the YMCA in Europe. And he told about the time after World War I when he was in Paris and he got word that King George V of England would visit Paris. The thought of seeing a real king was real exciting to this young boy, young southern boy. So at the dawn of that day, he was in place on the Champelis to get a good vantage point. And after seemingly endless hours, he heard the news the king is coming. The excitement of people was contagious. And young Level wondered what it would be like to get back home and tell folks back home he had seen a king. As the royal carriage passed in his most mannerly fashion, he bowed in respect. But as he turned away, Level felt something different than he had anticipated He wondered why he felt so empty, so dismayed about his historic privilege. And as he thought about it more and more, he thought, the reason I felt nothing was because he's not my king. He didn't even know my name. And he brought me no gift as his subject. My king is not King George of England. My king is King Jesus. And one day he shall appear and he shall know me 
And I long to hear him say, well done. And it is grace that's going to make it all possible if indeed he says it. And the third stanza of Newton's favorite famous hymn says, Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I have already come. Tis grace hath brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's all about grace. And so, friends, let us love Him with all that we are. Let us serve Him with all that we have. Let us treat one another with grace because He graces us. And let us anticipate the day that we'll get to sing it together to Him. Father, thank you for your word. May nothing ever rob us of the experience of grace. May it become more real and more real and more real. No matter hard life may seem. All our lives, God, may we walk in, may we extend May we bask in the grace of God, which indeed surpasses all understanding. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing it together. As we do, if you've never tasted that grace, why not today? I invite you to make your way down this aisle and look at me in the eye and say, James, I want to experience the grace of God in Christ. I want to give myself to Jesus. I want to know Him. If that's you, don't let anything stop you from coming today. And let us help you. Maybe God has spoken to you about making this church your church. And if God is leading you to become a part of this congregation, neither you nor this congregation will ever be worth the kingdom all they could be. If he's calling you, you can come today. Maybe you need to come and gather around this altar in prayer. Just say, thank you, God. Thank you, God, for your grace. I don't know what all you may need to do, but I know we must do what God lays upon our heart to do. That's part of grace. So sing. Sing with commitment and joy and anticipation and respond to the Spirit of God. Let's stand together. Let's sing. I'll meet you here at the front. Oh,
Too many stories and and hard, but uh, I think it was about 1991. Our, our church in Dallas gave us a, a sabbatical, and we got to spend three weeks in in Oxford, and uh, that's in far far East Texas, you know. <laughs> and, and one day we took a field trip, and we went out to Olney. Is that the way you say that? How do you say Olney? O-L-N-E-Y? And that's where he pastored. And you could see the study in the manse. 
and look out over the little church and, and, and the, the courtyard. There's something very special about having cemetery part of the church. I, I'm, I'm sorry we can't really do that anymore. But there he is out there buried in that cemetery next to church. And, and we went out and stood by that, that grave and held hands, our, our group, and sang Amazing Grace. And thank God for that slave trader touched by the grace of God became a clergyman. The poem on the tombstone talks about well, I wish I brought the quote. I had no idea I was going to do that, but uh, slave trader changed, transformed, and preached the glorious gospel which once he labored to destroy. There it is. And that's what it's about. We have a Martin coming today. Stand by me. Your husband is not with you today. No, sir. Okay. And he's already a member, but she's coming to join First Baptist Church in Mason. She was baptized at about a nine-year-old, and uh, formerly a part. How many of you thought she was already a part? Well, she is a part. She was a part, but she's really a part now. If this makes you very, very happy indeed, would you say amen and hallelujah? And there you go. Mother-in-law, would you like to come and stand with her? And we need to get your picture. We're going to be walking out of here in just a minute. And uh, is it all right if your mother-in-law stands with you? Yes. Do you like her okay? I do. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, good. That's Grace, huh? All right. <laughs> oh, me. I got a hush. Uh, Just like Johnny Carson. Y'all don't even know who that was, do you? That worked. All right, let's stand together. Sing with the praise team.